Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. We enter the second hour of the program. We'll go full pacers, both local and nationally, with Dan Purcell, former front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans. But first, what happened with the Reds? Is it a 12-game winning streak? That and more upcoming with the star of the show. It's Network Indiana's Nathaniel Finch. The Reds are red hot. I'm Nathaniel Finch with Network Indiana and your scoreboard update. Here's how things started. A 5 to nothing deficit all in the first inning. It was the Braves who got things started early. Darno to right center field. Friedel going back. He's at the wall and it is gone. Travis Darno. Free run shot. RC to right center. That's going to shoot the gap. Eddie trots home. Orlando into second. RBI double. And the Braves have put up a five spot here to start the series. Sports fans from this state would recognize that as Brandon Godden with Bally Sports down in Atlanta. But then all of a sudden, after a 5 nothing deficit, the Reds, they came firing back. Here's what happened next. First pitch in the air to right. Pitch. Votto swings high in the air. Right field. Yes! He pointed to the dugout to say, I told you. You cannot stop the Cincinnati Reds. Team is going to have a lot of scoring opportunities. De La Cruz, right center. Down base hit. Could he go free? India around third. India scores. It's a cycle. Ellie Mania, indeed. That is from Bally Sports. 11 to 10, the final score for the Reds. This win makes it 12 straight for the Red Legs. Joey Votto, two run home run game. Obviously, Ellie De La Cruz, the first cycle for Reds since 1989 with Eric Davis. He's the youngest MLB player to hit the cycle in 51 years. This kid is insane. Finally, Alexis Diaz came in to get his 21st save of the year, most in the National League. Alex Young with the win. Last night, it was all NBA draft. Here's the Pacers' first pick. With the seventh pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the Indiana Pacers select Bilal Koulibaly from Courbevoie, France. His stay with the blue and gold did not last very long. That's because the very next pick, they took this guy via the Wizards' eighth overall pick. With the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the Washington Wizards select Jairus Walker from the University of Houston. 
big defensive presence for the Pacers. Both Walker and their second first-round pick, Ben Shepard, joined in this very building. The ride with JMV this afternoon in person. You can catch that full conversation at 1075thefan.com and anywhere you get your podcast. That's on the ride with JMV. But here's what head coach Rick Carlisle had to say about the first pick. You know, in a league where defensive versatility, the ability to switch and contain is so important, you know, we believe he can do that. And then, you know, offensively, he just, there's a chance here that that he could really evolve into a, a special kind of foreman in this league. <clears throat> a guy that can rebound it and take it coast to coast and make plays. And Let's let Jimmy King and the rest of his guests talk about the Pacers. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Nathaniel Finch. Jimmy Cook in for the coach, Bob Level, Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Graham Shear behind the ones and twos. Nathaniel Finch every 15 minutes here on IST. How about those red legs? Tell you what, if you listen to our sister station, 935-1075, The Fan on the Fan Midday Shows, where you can catch me most weekdays at noon until 3 with another IST member and Eddie Garrison alongside for that ride as well. We gave you that bet. We told you take the reds on the money line. The disrespect towards the Cincinnati Reds is unfathomable. This 11-game win streak, and they are underdogs at home. We will check a little bit later in the show when they release the lines for tomorrow to see if perhaps the books are adjusting to the Red Legs and Ellie De La Cruz continuing to carry the day. Man, a cycle. First cycle for the Reds since the late 80s. Absolutely incredible. And he's only been a part of the big leagues for two weeks. One of, if not the best story in baseball. There's no doubt about that. We've spent a large portion of the show talking about the Indiana Pacers and reacting to the moves they made in last night's NBA draft. And that'll be a continuing theme, as you would expect, both tonight and tomorrow. But I want to look at local angle number two, which does not impact the team, of the Indiana Pacers, but it does impact the Indiana Hoosiers. They, of course, had two players that entered last night's draft, Jalen hood Shafino and Trace Jackson-Davis. Both of them find homes out west. One of them found out their home more dramatically than the other because there was a definitive fall for Trace Jackson Davis. Now, I already mentioned a little bit on the Fan Midday Show with the opportunity for the Pacers to take Trace Jackson Davis not once, but twice in the second round, albeit acknowledging the fact that as you look at the roster, might not have been a spot for Trace even in two years' time with how crowded that part of the Pacers lineup really is. Now, that being said, I think Trace Jackson Davis can make it the next level even if he is not able to develop a true outside shot, because like we mentioned with Oscar Shibway, who signed a two-way deal with the Pacers earlier today, there is still a pathway for players that are of the center or big power forward variety to still have meaningful minutes. You see it still around the league. Obviously, if you can shoot, that puts you in an entirely different stratosphere. But for Trace Jackson Davis... Tend up at Golden State with Steve Kerr and the history they have of developing young players. <laughs> you couldn't have asked for a better fit for the Indiana Hoosier big man. You could not have picked one out better had you given him his choice 
of where he wanted to go. The idea, go back and look at the highlights if you forget it, that Michigan game that went to overtime at Assembly Hall, the matchup against Miami, even though they lost in the NCAA tournament, the times they played against Purdue, the passing ability of Trace Jackson Davis is the most underrated part of his game. And in an offense like Golden State that so frequently relies on the extra pass being made, he's going to thrive there if he's able to develop the rest of his game. Even just as a second unit guy, if he is a player that makes the roster, which General Manager Mike Dunleavy made it seem like that he was going to be that, just the idea of him being in a pick and roll with Chris Paul with a second unit is very enticing. So we'll ultimately see what happens with Trace Jackson Davis. And then for Jalen hood Shafino, I mean, we've all had these dreams, right? And all of us at some point from a sports perspective or a sports fan perspective, it hits us at different levels when professional sports as a player is not going to be in the cards, right? For me, it was grade school. I knew pretty early on that uh, no, it was not going to be a pathway for me to be able to make it at the professional level. And I'm probably being generous with putting the grade school label on that, right? I mean, you just you find out pretty quick that, okay, no, I'm, I'm not up to snuff to be able to play at the next level as a professional athlete. But you still have your favorite players and you dream. For Jalen hood Shafino, much like many guards his age, it's Kobe Bryant. It, it famously, in his recruiting video, he's wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey over at Indiana when he makes his commitment to go there. So for him to have an opportunity to go to a team that he rooted for as a kid, very, very cool. And the idea of him being able to play with a legend in LeBron James, very, very cool. Don't expect him to get the amount of minutes that he could have gotten had he ended up in, say, Toronto or Atlanta, but it gives him a real opportunity to grow within that offense and find himself potentially meaningful minutes by the time we get to the second portion of the regular season. Very exciting across the board for both Jalen Hutchifino and Trace Jackson Davis. We'll look more nationally for them and for the Pacers with Dan Purcell of the Sports Business Classroom and former NBA front office exec when we come back on Indiana Sports Talk. Then you'll finish with your Network Indiana scoreboard update. I'll give you one every 15 minutes. Let's start with some baseball. The only game in the area currently going on that's up in Chicago, the Red Sox hold steadfast to this 3-1 to advantage that they hold over the White Sox. We're in the middle of the eighth inning. White Sox do up with Tim Anderson and the rest of their heavy hitters. Let's look at some scores that have already passed. How about the Detroit game up in Detroit? The Twins beat the Tigers four runs to one. Meanwhile, the Brewers trounce on the road in Cleveland. 7-1, to that score but the one that everybody cares about, the story of the day in baseball and the story, which probably will be for some time. The Reds win 11-10. to How about this series that we have? Two, maybe the two hottest teams in baseball going at it in Cincinnati. Game one for Cincinnati, and they win this one, like I said, 11-10. Plenty of home runs, 10 of them to be exact, including two from Joey Votto. One from L.A. De La Cruz in a historic game for him. In the second inning, hit a double. In the third inning, hit that dinger. In the fifth inning, a single. And then he capped it off with the hardest one. That's the triple in the sixth inning to hit for. 
The first cycle for a Reds player since June 2nd of 1989. That's Eric Davis, 34 years ago. A great game in Cincinnati. A couple more scores for you. The Indians, final score, 18-5 to over the Columbus Clippers. Plenty of fireworks in downtown Indianapolis. Finally, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps defeat the South Bend Cubs up north 6-4. to That final score in South Bend. I'm Nathaniel Finch. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Jimmy Cook proudly in for the coach, Bob Lovell. You can follow me on Twitter, at the Cook, Along with Graham Shear behind the ones and twos and Nathaniel Finch on our scoreboard updates. Happy you've chosen to spend part of your Friday night with us. Well, if you're a Reds fan, you're ecstatic. It's now 12 straight victories for you, and the good times keep on rolling. And if you're a Pacers fan, hopefully you are thrilled as well as you have Again, hopefully a foundational piece moving forward. To find out if it is indeed a foundational piece to hopefully get them out of the lottery, we turn our attention here for a segment or two to one of our favorites. It's Dan Purcell, former front office executive, as well as the director of scouting for the Sports Business Classroom. You might have caught him last night on a YouTube live stream for Sports Business Classroom reacting to the draft. Dan, thanks for joining us on a Friday evening. Where do your baseball loyalties lie? Oh, I'm a Cleveland guy. I am a Guardians through and through. Uh, I, I, up uh, in the 90s when, you know, those teams were rolling and we had, you know, Manny Ramirez batting seventh. Well, I'm a Yankees fan, so I apologize ahead of time. Um, but that's that's okay. Nobody, nobody likes me as it is. So um, <laughs> We all make mistakes. Uh, we all make mistakes. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one I, I just I, I can't keep uh, help myself from making year after year. Uh, you you guys obviously were able to put together a live draft show for the sports business classroom last night. I know you like a gentleman that we're going to talk to a little bit later in the show, who I talked to via text in Tony East, who covers the pace for Sports Illustrated. He was very exhausted. I would assume even with you enjoying that sweet, sweet West Coast time zone, that the grind of everything from that live stream to the length it felt like of the first round, that even yourself might be dragging a little bit with how much content you've been churning out the last 24 hours. You know, it's more emotional than it is physical, right? <laughs> I think the biggest thing is it's the culmination of a whole year of work. You know, I've been you know, I've been working on the draft since, you know, I, I work on the draft literally the day before um, the previous draft happens. So, so it's been a, a constant thing that I, you know, when I actually get organized and I start putting pen to paper and I start saying these guys are in my top 75. So it's a, it's a, it's a very long process and it's almost like that deep exhale after it's over and you go, oh, got another one in, you know, we did it. I, mean, I think we did a pretty good job. So are you to tell me, though, and this might be something I say for segment two, that you have already, because you're just a glutton for punishment, taken a peek at 2024? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually, I actually was peeking at 2025 and 26. Um, <laughs> as, as I'm, at, I'm, I'm actually in Phoenix right now at Section 7, which is one of the biggest uh, high school tournaments there is. It's an open period for colleges to come watch some of the best high schools. Um, in the country. And, uh, I've, I've kind of been peeking, uh, you know, seeing who's out there and, and whatnot. 
Well, then that is absolutely, maybe not as insane as yourself. I don't know if I'm going to go quite to 25 and 26, but definitely a 2024 <laughs> question or two uh, in our second segment. And again, uh, we all have our sports insanity, so I'm not knocking you right there. But uh, man, that's great news. That's great news. I, I now know that if I need to go ahead and get insights on what the Pacers might do two or three years from now, you are our guy. Uh, not that I ever touted you to begin with. Speaking of which, Looking at last night's draft, Jairus Walker is the selection for the Pacers at eight, but they trade back with the Wizards moving from seven. How critical is that from a front office standpoint to be able to zone in on opportunity and capitalize, even though the casual fan might not realize two 2028 second rounders when it would have been just nothing and a selection at seven can actually be the difference in the long run for small market teams? I think that's it's, it's the lifeblood of small market teams. It's it's you have to leverage every small ounce of, of of this that you can squeeze out, right? You have to squeeze it and squeeze it. And if that means you know pick fifty six and pick fifty eight, which I think they'll be better, but you know if they're if they end up being pick fifty six and fifty eight, it's still pick fifty six and fifty eight, and maybe you sell them, or you know maybe it's a, a stash guy, or maybe they come in handy in a trade down down the road. It's there's a lot of different possibilities. If you need that small asset to push a deal forward, well, now you have that, and you didn't give anything, um, really give anything up. Take us back to your final evaluation of Jairus Walker prior to the selection being made. Where did you have him evaluated? If you do comps, where did you have him comped? And how do you feel he can impact what the Pacers are trying to do at his position, and in particular on the defensive end right away next year? Well, first off, I think the the best thing about Jairus Walker is he has a lot of room to grow. He's the seventh, or well, he's the eighth, sorry, eighth pick in the draft, and he has so much room to grow, and, and his ceiling can be so high. I see him as someone that can switch pretty much two through five. He's going to be able to guard some mobile five. And then offensively, he's going to be able to pick and pop. He's explosive enough in small spaces. You know, he's not going to be a guy, obviously, that sits there and dribbles on the wing or anything like that, but he's a finisher. He can shoot. He can spread the floor for you. I think he works great with Miles Turner. I think he's a great complement to him. Now, the only thing with the only downside to Jarris is, is he a three or a four as it comes down to when you get to the playoffs and you need those matchups? Who is he guarding, right? Who does he is he a, is he a lockdown defender? No, he's not. But he's a very very solid defender and somebody who uses his IQ. And you know, he's a younger guy. I mean, he he was one of the best freshmen in the country, and I think that his ceiling, especially since he has really elite guard play. With, as you know, I'm a huge Halliburton fan. As you know, you've known this for a mm-hmm. very long time. And I'm a huge Ben Matherin fan, as you have also known. So you have two really right. high-end guards. Borderline, Halliburton's a borderline all-star. Matherin will most likely be an all-star one day. And you pair him with Jairus Walker, who could potentially be a, a, an all-star one day. This is a really good foundation for Indiana. I said it last night on our cast that I really liked what Indiana did in this draft. I thought they, they, they made money when they sold the pick. They picked guys with upside, and they picked guys who had a lot of talent. And then they got their guy at – they were going to take him at seven anyways. They get two more seconds to move to eight. It's a a really good day to be an Indiana Pacer fan, in my opinion. We got a little 
over two minutes. Dan Purcell joins us, former front office executive and director of scouting for the Sports Business Classroom. You can follow him on Twitter at P underscore NBA. I know we're going to have you on for another segment to dive a little bit more Pacers, but I want to look at where their roster construction is right now with the addition of Walker and where else they could potentially play in free agency. When you look at this team, where would you allocate the money if they decide to be big spenders? Again, a little less than two minutes here. Well, I, I mean, we talked from a about position it. standpoint again. It doesn't have to be players; it's a position standpoint. Well, you know, I, I, we've talked about this before, and I actually I'm going to put a name out there that I think you know I, I, I dug a little bit, and the name Harrison Barnes comes up a lot now as I mm-hmm. as I talk to some people, and you know, obviously, unfortunately, you're probably going to have to overpay him to come to Indiana. Um, he's at that point of his career where if he wants to go win, he has to take a discount or does he want to maximize what he can earn? Indiana can, can I, well, after their draft picks, it's roughly $25 million of cap space from what I, was, what I quickly calculated. And I don't think you're going to have to pay Harrison Barnes $25 million, but I think you will be in the $20 million range, um, probably the four years, $80 million range, four years, $90 million range, somewhere in there to get him to come to your team. Now, that being said, you don't have to overspend this year. I, we've, we've talked about how I actually think I love the process of where they're at. If they want to make the leap right now, they're going to need a wing who's a vet, who can hit open shots, who's a good guy, who can lead by example, and he can still play. You know, I, I don't think you can – there's too many Udonis Haslam's out there, guys who are way past their prime and they don't play, but guys respect them, right? So you have to find that middle ground of a guy who can play and put up and probably start for you or at least be the sixth man on your team, and yet you still have to understand that you're probably going to have to pay him, and then you also have Halliburton's extension coming, and then you'll also have Matherin's extension coming, and, you know, you have the – Dan, I got to cut across you. Dan, I got to cut across you real quick. I apologize. We've got the hard outs, but we'll dive a little bit deeper with that and look big picture NBA with Dan Purcell when we come back on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Nathaniel Finch with your Network Indiana scoreboard update. Let's start with the game in progress that is up in Chicago at Guaranteed Rate Field. Currently the Boston Red Sox ahead of the Chicago White Sox. 3-1, to one, we're in the top of the ninth, two outs. So for the White Sox, need to get an out here at the away half and then work some magic to try to get back on the board, tie or take the lead in the bottom of the ninth if they want a shot at this one. Middleton on the mound for the White Sox. Then we look at some games that have already finished up here how about the big one of the day the reds 11 the braves 10 these two teams aren't going anywhere this series is going to be electric 10 home runs today five from each team it started with five runs in the first from atlanta then the reds a pair in the second a pair in the third a run in the fourth to tie it up five all then we get to the fifth inning it's a 7-5 to lead for Atlanta after putting up a two-spot in the away half. Then we head to the bottom of the fifth. That's where Cincinnati put up four, took the lead, did not give it back. Two runs in the sixth. Gave them their 11. However, the Braves weren't going anywhere. Top of the eighth, three runs for Atlanta. That made it 11-10, to but it was Alexis Diaz who picked up his National League leading 21st save on the year, and the Reds win 11-10. to This series, it will continue tomorrow afternoon at 4.10 p.m. Eastern. Then we look at the game in Detroit. Minnesota wins 4-1 to after a three-spot in the second. I'll tell you about that score. Also, the Milwaukee Brewers 7-1 over the Guardians, and much more next. This is... 
is Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Nathaniel Finch. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Jimmy Cook in for the coach, Bob Lovell. Public service announcement. If you are a Purdue fan, I love you. I respect you. You can still get in my mentions on Twitter, the Jay Cook, if you want. But no, I do not care how you feel about Trace Jackson Davis and the Pacers not ultimately having a reunion. You can say what you want about me for potentially being a blind alumni of Indiana. That's fine. You are equally blind with your hatred for IU. PSA over. Let's go back to Dan Purcell in our conversation regarding the Indiana Pacers and where they're at post-draft. Speaking of Trace Jackson Davis, Dan, while I would have liked to have seen him end up in Indiana, particularly in the back half of that second round, I do acknowledge, as I did acknowledge earlier today on our sister station on the fan, the fit probably wouldn't have been there for him with the Pacers, but it ended up working out because... If you had given him any choice of where he wanted to go to develop as a pro, I have a hard time thinking a player of his need for improvement would have chosen anywhere else but Golden State. You know, it's it's a really good situation for him. Tons, loads of talent, right? Just absolutely loads of talent. And there's a, you know, the, the new NBA. I'm actually surprised he didn't go a little higher because that's a little low probably for him, but... He was mocked like 15 to 29, Dan. Like it was it was almost to a point last night where I felt like maybe he got bad info even though he's accomplished almost everything he could have at the college level. NIL is still a profitable avenue. Like you're right, it, it was a little low. Like it was baffling to many that he fell as far as he did. You know, I, I think part of it is as an older guy, there was a bit of a maturity issue with him, right? I think there was a little bit sure. of that. But on top of it, I, I, we've spoken about this. Uh, another thing is the, econ- the new economy of the NBA. And, you know, we're looking at the new NBA and this new CBA, and you're tr- the, the whole goal of the second round of the draft now is to, in my opinion, to find older players, whether they're professional players, whether they're, you know, old seniors or fifth-year seniors um, in college. And, you create, you're creating a new market with the new CBA, and they're, they're actually more valuable because you don't have as much time to hold on to guys before they get paid. So I, I thought it was a really good idea for Golden State to trade for him. I think he's – you know, I want to see him develop. I want to see him um, become a little more mature in his game because a lot of times it's, it's a lot of bully ball. And, you know, some, in the NBA, you know – can't really bully guys unless you're LeBron, right? <laughs> so it's it's a much harder game in the NBA <laughs> to play the way he plays. He's going to have to learn a little more finesse. He's going to have to learn a little more skill. You have a little more skill. So I, I like the player. I just think it is going to take him a while. And, you know, I think the Warriors said he's going to be on the 15-man roster, which will be interesting. I, I expect him to play in the G League some, too. Are guys like Cody Zeller – Thomas Bryant, like old archaic models of bigs, but that are still able because they improve in those areas that they highlighted. Are they a proof of concept that non-shooting big men can still find minutes, valuable minutes on teams, as long as they max out those other areas that you just highlighted for Trace? Yeah, I mean, if if you're a non-shooting big in today's NBA I really think you have to do three things really well. One, you have to be a great help side defender, right? You have to be able to help clean up mistakes on the perimeter. The second thing is you have to be able to run the floor. 
whether that's being the first big down or the big that trails, you have to be able to either screen or get to the rim faster than the other team. And then, of course, the last one is rebound. If you're rebounding and you're running the floor and you're helping on defense, there's a place for you in the NBA as a, as a, as a big, a non-shooting big, I should say. Let's go to the other Hoosier in Jalen hood Shafino. He winds up in L.A. The expectation for him likely will not be to grow and flourish for the first half of the season, maybe even the first two-thirds of the season, but he has enough upside with his athleticism, his ability to get to the rim and create his own shot, even though his highs were all-time highs, like top 10 in a draft type highs, and his lows were, well, this guy really needs to figure things out consistently. When you look at both sides of that coin and his tape, where is his opportunity for development slash his role in the NBA starting with his journey in Los Angeles? I think the first thing, he's going to have to accept a role. And, you know, that, that's going to be – when you play with LeBron James, you have to accept a role because that's really – he's always been the best player for so long. And even at an older age, he's probably still one of the top, you know, 12 to 15 players in the league. So the thing is, what role is, is LeBron going to demand of him? I think LeBron's going to demand that he defends. I think LeBron's going to demand that he hits open shots and – and is able to play that secondary role. And then his shot really will come with second units, that maybe it's an Anthony Davis second unit, um, a group that is centered around Anthony Davis where the ball goes in and out, and he's able to get you know ball reversals to him, and he can attack. Because he has that low center of gravity and a really strong base. And I actually like his game. I think, I think his game translates pretty solidly to the NBA. I think he's going to have a you know eight- to ten-year career. Looking at the other selection that the Pacers made in the first round last night in Ben Shepard out of Belmont, I know you and I have discussed this in the past, but they are at some point going to have to make a decision either by the deadline or towards the end of the season or when the contract extension deadline hits of what the future is going to hold for Buddy Heald. I know that's a twofold question, but Ben Shepard at his highest of highs and what he can develop, is he a starting two guard in this league? I don't know that he's a starting two for a good probably till his second contract. Um, okay, he does. He's a jack of all trades. I mean, he he gives multiple efforts defensively. I mean, the guy he plays his tail off, and if he, you can work with a guy who has good attitude and works his tail off and has good size. I mean, that's a that's a great place to start. So there's a, there's a bit of rawness though from an NBA standpoint, and it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the physicality. Um, of the NBA, and obviously with 82 games, he's going to have to get used to the grind of that because as the 26th pick, you're going to be the guy in there at 8 a.m. every day. That's your that's your time slot um, before shoot-around, before practices, whatever that is, and it's a lot. If you go and play in the game the night before and you're the first guy out there, sometimes it can get into your head. You know, it can get kind of uh, grueling. So we'll see how it goes, but I mean, I like the player. I just, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be the guy that replaces Buddy Heald. I think you're going to have to get someone else that if Buddy Heald is traded or or he leaves in free agency, that he, I'm not sure he's going to be your answer, but we'll see how he develops. Less than two minutes, Dan. The fall of Cam Whitmore, the medicals perhaps were a question mark. How often does that happen in a front office on draft night the way that it did and ultimately where he ends up in Houston? What were your takeaways from that? Well, the sense around the league after talking to some teams was that half, the, maybe maybe uh, maybe not half, maybe we're being generous, maybe 
of the teams in the, in in the, that had picks in the draft actually knew about how deep the medicals were on his knee. That's a really interesting that's an interesting topic for another time, right? So because you never know what can happen in the draft, and then I then I also found out that you know picks seventeen through twenty, as people were trying to get as teams were trying to get back into seventeen through twenty, the asking prices on those were extremely high. So I think it scared a lot of people off that, hey, he might have a really really bad knee where it can't be fixed, and yet we're going to give a lot of value up to move you know to move up Brooklyn was going to move up four spots, or you know was it a team that's not in is going to give a future first for him, Dan. Get some rest, my friend. Enjoy these last couple of weeks for a breath before you're back out at Vegas for NBA Summer League, Director of Scouting Sports Business Classroom. Uh, Remind folks for next year, if they want to get involved, about 30 seconds here, how they can be a part of Sports Business Classroom next year. Yeah, we're sold out this year. um, But for next year, just stay stay attached to sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Also, it's sportsbizclassroom on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we have a lot more. Pro- we have many more programs coming out. We're, we're going to be uh, un- unveiling a lot of those after summer league. I'm a simple man, Dan. Have some in and out for me. Be well, okay? You got it. Thanks, Jimmy. That's Dan Purcell. We will continue the Friday evening of Network Indiana Indiana Sports Talk when we come back. More on the Pacers, how things are shaking up. Look at the second round deeper as well. Nathaniel Finch with your Network Indiana scoreboard update. It is 1045. If you missed it, well, you must be living under a rock. Here's what happened before the sixth inning of the Cincinnati Reds game against the Atlanta Braves. That is blitz to right center field. Off the top of the wall. Dana Cruz storms up to second base. He nearly had a home run by inches. That was 117 off the bat. Pitch. First pitch in the air to right. Acuna back at the wall. Gone! De La Cruz does it again. This man is electric. One, two. Broke his bat. That's in the center. Base hit. Windmill on McCray. Harrison center lob to second. McCray slides home safely. a triple shy three for three and the reds within one scoring opportunities de la cruz right center down base hit could he go three india around third india scores it's a cycle incredible for ellie de la cruz just his 15th ever game in the major leagues he's now the youngest mlb player to hit the cycle in 51 years and the first time for a red to do so since eric davis did on june 2nd of 1989 that is 34 years ago next time you hear from me i'll give you all the scores that you need to know more next this is indiana sports talk Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. I'm Jimmy Cook, in for the coach Bob Lovell. You can follow me on Twitter at the J Cook. You can follow our next guest on Twitter at Howard Kelman. Always a treat when he's able to make some time for us, and especially so when the Hall of Famer comes in off of the second most runs scored in Victory Field history, eighteen to five winners over the Columbus Clippers. Howard with a game where everybody's playing well who stood out the most for you tonight well there were a few guys i just can't pick one because 
Jared Triolo had four hits, but there were a couple of guys. Alika Williams was one. Ryan Vallade was another. They each hit three-run homers. And the Indians went back-to-back with Williams and Chris Owings, Jimmy, in the uh, latter part of the game in the eighth inning. So, uh, as you said, a wonderful night. Now, in all fairness to Columbus, they started for the second straight night pitcher out of independent ball. Their staff is really weak, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to take anything away from the Indians because you still have to hit the ball and score the runs, and they did just that. Howard, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I cheated for the mark. I figured that was a close record, or at least up there in Indy Indians history. That, of course, the mark they tweeted out about an hour ago, that it was the second most for a game at Victory Field. What's the franchise record in runs? Well, uh, they keep the Victory Field era. You know, the franchise goes back to 1902, so it's a little difficult to get every single record, but it's in the 20s. There was a game the Indians scored in 2017 in Columbus when they scored 21 runs. I know that's the Victory Field era record, and Victory Field goes back to July of 1996. That may be the franchise record, but you never know what might have happened in 1911 or 1907 or something like that. Sure. I I phrased that a little strong. I apologize for that. I I was going for Victory Field there, but you're right. I mean, still, anytime you're able to put up – 18 on the board with a fireworks night on a Friday. It's really, really special. 7.05 tomorrow night. Where's your expectations as this stretch with the Columbus Clippers continues for the try tomorrow evening? Well, the Indians have won three of the first five in the series. Jimmy Quinn Priester, who's a prospect, on the hill for the Indians tomorrow. And then after the game on Sunday... The first half of the season concludes. This is the first year we've had this in our league. A lot of minor leagues have had this over the years. Split seasons. So you have a first half winner, which is going to be Norfolk. And then come Wednesday, when the Indians start the second half, their record will be 0-0 and again. So that's the way they're doing things this year. And the winner of the first half meets the winner of the second half for the championship. That's very thrilling as always. I'm looking forward to tracking that. And Howard, I'm back in here tomorrow. So win or lose, would love the opportunity to get a chance to catch up with you tomorrow night if you're able to, my friend. Jimmy, I'll be happy to do it. It's always my pleasure being on with you. Thank you so much. That is the voice of the Indianapolis Indians, the Hall of Famer himself, Howard Kelman. Taking some time with us here on Indiana Sports Talk. The Tribe victorious tonight, as we mentioned, 18 to 5 over the Columbus Rick the Columbus Clippers the second most run scored in franchise history I wasn't going to make Howard feel bad with this next sentiment but he mentioned that since 1996 Victory Field has been a part of downtown Indianapolis I was just one years old so very very good to see Victory Field continue to age so nicely and good to see franchise marks still put up even in 2023 and again we'll have more action from the tribe as they return to victory field tomorrow night at 705 still to come on our docket we'll go out west to look at trace jackson davis's new home in golden state but first more on the pacers on indiana sports talk back here with network indiana's 
Indiana Sports Talk. Jimmy Cook, happy to be in for the coach, Bob Lovell. I'll be in here tomorrow night as well. We'll cover more Pacers and Colts tomorrow evening. The fans, our sister station, the fans own Kevin Bowen will be nice enough to make some time with us as well. We'll have a conversation spanning both Pacers and Colts with KB. And, of course, we'll have a conversation as well with Derek Schultz of the ISC Sports Network. Brendan King, much like Howard Kelman, will play double duty with us. We'll have him a little bit later in the show tonight. He'll give us an update on the South Bend Cubs. He'll join us then as well. But going back to where the Pacers are at now post-draft, we already mentioned with where they're fast-forwarding out what the next couple of seasons are going to look like for this franchise, whether or not Buddy Heald is going to be a part of that or not. And that doesn't all have to be doom and gloom because it is a contract year for him. And historically speaking, guys in contract years, more often than not, perform at career bests. The greats do because they know they're about to get a nice payday around the corner. And that's not a bad thing for a Pacers team that has expectations, at least in theory, set as high as making it to the playoffs next year. Again, I can't emphasize that enough. Not the play-in, but getting an actual spot within the NBA playoffs. That's that's four to six range where you're not having to go through this gauntlet that the Miami Heat had to go through or that the Bulls and Raptors tried and failed to go to go through and that the Atlanta Hawks just barely survived. I'm talking about actually earning a real berth. And this is the first sense in a long time for the Pacers where that direction might really be on the horizon. You're going back in all truthfulness, even with the Victor Lodipo and DeMontis Sabonis era, you're looking at about a decade or so, nearly a decade, since the Pacers were last in the Eastern Conference Finals, that in 2014 with Paul George and Roy Hibbert when they went down to LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. It's been quite some time since the Pacers have sniffed that kind of success, and even then they weren't satisfied. They desperately wanted to be able to make their first NBA Finals appearance since 2000 and win their first Larry O'Brien Trophy in franchise history. We're still many years away from that. Look at the patience that the Denver Nuggets were able to practice over the course of a six to seven year span. And that was when they had the best player in the league drafted well in advance of that at the start of that run and development. It takes patience in today's NBA. It's easier said than done. Not every single fan is able to carry themselves that way. But it's important to remember that, that we get so caught up so too often with wanting immediate satisfaction, that we forget that these things take time. That doesn't mean lower the bar for what you want to see from the Pacers next year, but it just means that even if it's not a conference finals appearance next year, it's a step in the right direction. We'll head out west to learn about Trace Jackson Davis and Golden State with Kevin Dana when we return after this scoreboard update on Indiana Sports Talk.